It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 Three one three eight one four five six seven, or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. We welcome you into the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, June eleventh, two 2015. Thank you for joining us on the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, joins me across the table tonight. Hello, Dan. Jacob, great to be here. Good to be with you. Anthony's behind the controls. Welcome, Anthony. Thanks. It's good to be here. And uh, we'll look forward to hearing from you. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com on a topic. I think we may have touched on it in the past, but it, I don't think we've given a whole program to it. Yeah, yeah. Let me, let me do a little housekeeping for okay, you. Okay, housekeeping. Go, go. Uh, it may be a little early to start promoing this, but uh, we've got our community Bible study coming up mm-hmm. here in Columbia. It's a thing that we've done here for the last several years. Uh, College View Church organizes a what we call a community Bible study. It's it's not held here at our church building, but at a at a uh, public facility in downtown Columbia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so <clears throat> we want to let people in the Middle Tennessee area know that we're going to be having this July, what is it, 20, 20th and 21st. Let me look at my calendar. Yes, it is. Uh, let's see. That is that was, correct? That was... Uh... That was last year. Was the twenty? Uh, yeah, I say twentieth, twenty first. Yes, Monday and Tuesday night, the twentieth yep. and twenty first of July. Yep. Uh, and it's going to be at the Memorial Building on West Seventh Street in downtown Columbia. Our theme this year, we try to pick a theme that will get a lot of attention in our community. That's our purpose and of we, interest in the community. Yeah, we think it will be of interest. And this year, our topic is the Christians' response to Islam. Okay. And uh, Bob Buchanan. Many of our listeners probably are familiar with Bob Buchanan. He's uh, he, he resides in Bowling Green, Kentucky, but he does a lot of traveling all over the world preaching the gospel. And he's going to bring us lessons on two nights, Monday and Tuesday night, July 20th and 21st. So mark your calendars, and if you're able to come, I think it'll be well worth the effort. Uh, the Christian's response to Islam. We hope we get we hope we get a lot of response. If you want to know what that format looks like, you can you can view last year's. At our website. Yeah, it'll be the same venue and the same format. It'll be just basically uh, a lesson followed by a question and answer period. All right. So check that out at our website. Look forward to that. July 20th and 21st, 2015, Memorial Building in Columbia. Starts at 7 o'clock each night. And so make sure you're making plans for that if you're in the area. If you are even within driving distance, it'd be worth the drive. Make plans to come to the Community Bible Study, July 20th and 21st, 2015. All right, to our topic for tonight. And I think some people might think this is a peculiar topic. In fact, I had an email from Keith in Hendersonville, and he very much acted like, what in the world are you talking about? Yeah, so yeah. Uh, our, our topic is immigration. Yeah. And we want to we talk about our national immigration policy and what position Christians ought to take on the question of immigration in our country. And Keith wrote, immigration? Didn't they have open borders in biblical days? Not sure how Bible study is going to give me any kind of perspective on this issue, nor am I sure it should. Well, 
You know, I think that's probably a mistaken view right there as he expressed. I think the Bible should give us a perspective on all things. Yeah. And I think there is biblical information that would tell us. I'm talking about how we as this, Christians. It's not going to give us a political view on it. Right. It's not going to tell us what, what our national politics ought to be yeah. in regards to immigration. But it's going to tell me how to react toward immigrants. Yeah. Uh, and it's going to give it's going to give information as as to my uh, proper attitudes and so forth. All right. Well, uh, we'll look forward to the discussion. We got we're we're going up and down, up and we down. Are. It's a little bit. Yeah, it's yeah, a little yeah. while there. Okay. Um, well, hopefully Keith's listening tonight, and hopefully at the end of the program, Keith will uh, will agree that uh, there are biblical policies and biblical uh, principles, principles yeah. uh, for us on our attitude towards this immigration. It's a it is a controversy in in the world today. Yeah, and then at the end of the program, we've got an, a, a totally separate subject that I thought we might touch on at the end of the program, and this is something again that lots of times as Christians we're called upon to deal with. And it is the question of someone who has something traumatic happen in their life, you know, a, maybe a very horrible thing, a very sad thing, maybe the loss of a child or a loss of a dear loved one or maybe some severe life crisis, a job termination or financial reversal, who knows? And they get mad at God. Why is God letting this kind of stuff happen to me? Okay. And they get ang- we've known people who've gotten angry with God and actually turned from him in their anger uh, over some circumstance that arose in their life. And how could we address that? And what might we say to a person who is angry with God? All right, that'll be at the latter part of the program, but certainly an important subject uh, to discuss as well. So join in the chat room now on the subject of immigration. It is a hot-button topic, and we're not interested in uh, what we should do with a national policy. We are interested in what our attitude should be. And I'm not even sense. really interested in what you might call a church policy. Yeah. Because I don't think the church takes rightfully takes political viewpoints and tries to uh, pursue a political agenda. Now, many modern denominations do that. And I think if you do much reading at all, you find that a lot of the denominations are trying to find their role in this immigration question in the United States. Of course, as you said, it's a hot-button topic, and and a lot of people on both sides of the issue, uh, a a lot of conservatives are saying we need to strictly control and limit immigration. A a lot of the more liberals in our society say we ought to be completely open uh, to all immigrants to come at will. And so it's really a, it's really being a hotly debated political question, and it's not too surprising to know that a lot of human denominations, religious denominations, are trying to find a niche there where they can have something to say about that and maybe make a uh, make a name for themselves in that arena. We're not interested in that at all. Okay, well, we do need to have to talk about our attitudes uh, on the subject of immigration because uh, there are folks who are making it a moral issue. Yeah. And uh, is it a moral issue? And what would the scriptures teach us about the morality of okay, this Okay, well, that takes us to the questions we sent out earlier today to our update list. Remembering you can get on that list if you're not. Send us a, an email to questions at collegeview.com. Just say, add me to the list. We'll do it. You'll get our update sometime on Thursday telling you about our topic for that night. And today we sent out these questions concerning immigration. Do the Old, te- do the Old Testament instructions to the Israelites... Mm-hmm. About the treatment of strangers, foreigners, or aliens have application to U.S. immigration policy. Number two, do New Testament instructions have 
and then I, I cited some that we'll look at. Do they have application to U.S. immigration policy? Does the rule of law in Romans 13 have application to this issue? Is a person being a racist who advocates for enforcement of immigration laws? And number five, do individuals who enter the U.S. illegally, excuse me, individuals who enter the U.S. illegally often do so to improve their economic condition? If one opposes illegal immigration, is it a sign of lack of love for fellow man? Yeah. And then finally, and I think this might be the most important one we'd run into, Jacob. If you have the opportunity to teach an illegal alien the gospel of Christ, what would you teach them concerning their illegal status in our country? Okay. So let's start first. Let's, I think we can cover the first couple. Join in the chat room with your comments. Kevin's in there tonight. Kevin says, hey. Hey, Kevin. Hey to Kevin. Uh, the Old Testament instructions to the Israelites about the treatment of strangers, foreigners, or aliens. The, 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 the so-called open borders argument is based upon what, uh, among religious people, is based upon what they see as sort of an open border policy being instructed to the Israelites. And I'm, I'm not sure that's totally accurate, um, but there, there was instruction in the law of Moses about the deal, dealings with foreigners or strangers. They're often called strangers, sojourners. Yeah. Uh, the uh, our relatives must have been there. Strangers. <laughs> uh, p- part of part of the instruction was that those that those who were strangers yep. among the Israelites were to comply with the laws yeah. that the Israelites were to comply with. I'll give you just an example of this. I wrote one down here. There's lots of these. Deuteronomy 16, begin, beginning verse nine. Seven weeks shalt thou number unto thee, beginning uh, begin to number the seven weeks from such time as thou beginnest to put the sickle to the corn. And thou shalt keep the feast of weeks unto the Lord thy God with a tribute of a free will offering of thy hand, which thou shalt give unto the Lord thy God according as the Lord thy God hath blessed thee. And thou shalt rejoice before the Lord thy God, thou and thy son and thy daughter and thy manservant and thy maidservant and the Levite that is within thy gates and the stranger and the fatherless and the widow that are among you in the place which the Lord thy God hath chosen to place his name there. So they, they were being told, to observe the Feast of Weeks, and the aliens who were among them were to keep that festival with them. They were to observe those ordinances that were required. There's lots of places in the Law of Moses where it's like that, telling the people what to do, and including the strangers or the sojourners who were among them were to keep those same principles. So they could come, they could stay, but they were expected to adhere to the law that the Israelites were living under. And they weren't given full privileges that an Israelite would be given. For instance, in Deuteronomy 17, verse 15, they weren't allowed to become king. Uh, they, uh, the Israelites could lend with usury with interest to, to foreigner. the foreigner in Deuteronomy 23, verse 20. So there were they weren't entitled to the full rights of citizenship that an Israelite would have had. Yeah. So uh, they could come and they could stay. Uh, but I think the main thing that I would take away from, of course, remember the law of Moses was the national law of the nation of Israel. Right. And so it told what they should do as a nation, but it also told what they should do as individuals. And I think this is what would probably have more application to us. They were supposed to treat the foreigners with justice and fairness. That's right. Exodus twenty two twenty one. Thou shalt neither vex a stranger nor oppress him, for ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. Yeah. Uh, Leviticus 19. Uh, While you're getting that, Deuteronomy 17, or 24, verse 17, thou shalt not uh, pervert to judge. That's not the one I wanted, uh, but uh, 
they were to, they were to be just do justice uh, justice of the stranger. And uh, verse eighteen says they were to remember that they were in Egypt. And so, uh, but that wasn't the verse I was looking for. Go ahead. Le- Leviticus nineteen thirty three. Uh, if a stranger sojourn with thee in your land, ye shall not vex him. But the stranger that dwelleth with you shall be unto you as one born among you, and thou shalt love him as thyself. For ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Yeah. So there was there was specific instruction to in, to the individuals in their conduct, yeah. and if I was going to take anything away from the Old Testament instruction, I don't think I don't think this has application to our national immigration policy. But that's not our pur- purpose anyway. Uh, I think this is just reaffirming the concept that this is just a sort of a subset of the broad concept of do good unto all people are people, yeah. and uh, they need to have their just they need to be treated justly. Uh, they need to be taken care of. Their needs need to be honored. Uh, Deuteronomy 24, verse uh, 19, When thou cuttest down thy harvest in thy field, and hast forgot a sheave in the field, thou shalt not go again to fetch it. It shall be for the stranger, for the fatherless, and for the widow, that the Lord thy God may bless thee in all the work of thine hands. When thou beatest thine olive tree, thou shalt not go over the boughs again. It shall be for the stranger, for the fatherless, and for the widow. When thou gatherest the grapes of thy vineyard, thou shalt not glean it afterward. It shall be for the stranger, for the fatherless, and for the widow. And thou shalt remember thou wast a bondman in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command thee to do this thing. So they they had needs, uh, and they needed to be treated accordingly. And and we need to remember the needs of all. Yeah. Uh, And so uh, to me, I would argue that that's the main thing that I think we garner from Old Testament references to how the Israelites were supposed to treat the strangers. Again, I don't think this applies to what our politicians decide to do or not do about immigration. This just says that as the people of God, we're supposed to be kind-hearted, uh, caring, loving, benevolent, uh, and and that would apply to all people. Yeah, we should be. All right. Let us know your thoughts. Eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven in the chat room tonight. Kevin says, when I think of treatment of strangers, I think of the two strangers. Or angels that Lot showed hospitality to in Sodom, and he references Genesis chapter 19. Um, so um, there was, uh, and Lot was commended for that, uh, and there is that expectation that uh, when we uh, see strangers with needs, we should seek to fulfill those needs. I, I think that's right. Now let's just real quickly uh, tie in. Well, we're almost to a break, but let's just tie in the New Testament instructions. You know, again, those who would who would have denominational religious organizations trying to lobby our government in favor of some specific immigration policy, they want to latch on these things and say, this is what our government must do. I, I don't think these apply to our government. You know, I don't think that necessarily determines governmental action, but it determines individual action. So they would use a verse like Matthew 25, verse 35, where Jesus said, I was hungered and you gave me meat. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came unto me. Again, I think that's just talking about me as an individual having a caring disposition for anybody I encounter who has needs that I might be able to address. Yeah. I really think that's all that I could take away from from those verses. There's another one, and it and it sort of links with what Kevin said in the chat room, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse two. Remember them. Excuse me. Uh, yeah, Hebrews 13:2. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. I think that's probably a reference to the Old Testament account of Abraham uh, and how uh, Abram 
entertained them, Abraham entertained them, uh, those were the same ones that went on to Sodom and, and uh, warned Lot about what was coming to Sodom. But again, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying I think there's the general principle of individual kindness and benevolence that is, is thorough in the scripture. It's everywhere, yeah. and we need to be of such mind. I actually think that might be sort of a challenge for us in this day because, you know, a lot of Christians are conservatively minded politically. And conservative uh, political agenda is we want to see immigration controlled in our country, uh, you know, and we want to stop illegal immigration, not stop immigration per se, but stop illegal immigration. And so people kind of get heated up politically on an issue like that. And it may cause us to have a wrong attitude toward all immigrants. That's right. And and they, they become somehow some kind of second-class lesser, citizen. Lesser yeah. humans. We look down our noses at them. Right. Yeah, yeah. That is an important point. All right. Uh, we're going to take a break. If you, I was. This is something that, that strikes me every time I hear about these stories of the, of Abraham, you know, they're killing the fatted calf and feeding it to him, baking cakes and stuff. They do that when these people show up. How long did it take to I kill the animal? I about that. I was reading about the witch of Endor the night, this morning. You know, Saul was he was starving when he went to her, and she said, "Let me pray." She killed the fatted calf and does all this stuff. They and must have been some serious butchers, yeah, yeah but, to get that ready in time. Yeah, but think how long that. Uh, I mean, that, it, what kind of time? It, would that it take? would take a day, wouldn't it, to kill an oh, animal? I'd be dead that? by the time that they got. Uh, you know, if you were <laughs> dude, killing the fatted calf, boy, we'd be we'd be wasted yeah. away by the time. All right, well, take a break and get your comments on the other side. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back right after this. Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The virtual Bible study continues after this announcement. I'm Dan Quillen, a member of the College of Church of Christ, with some thoughts about making plans. Have you made any definite plans for your spiritual life and for your service for God? We spend time prioritizing personal lives and setting goals in our careers, but do we think in those terms about the most important thing, our soul? Ask yourself these questions. What am I planning to do for God today? In the coming week, what good thoughts will I accomplish for him? At this time next year, where do I want to be in my spiritual life? In five years from now, how will I have changed, improved, and grown in my work for God? Ten years from today, how will my family be? How will I have helped them grow spiritually? Twenty years down the road, how will I be doing? As I approach death, what will have been the most important things in my life? Where will I be in eternity? Here's some quotes worth pondering. You have the power to decide what your attitude will be. When your attitude is wrong, the correctness of your opinion is of little importance. Man, wish I'd said that. Broadcasting around the world with truths that are out of this world. The Virtual Bible Study. Take it away, guys. We're back on the program tonight and some formalities going on in the chat room, but not a lot of comments. We'd yeah. like to hear, hear your comments there in the chat room as we talk about immigration. Again, we've talked about the fact that uh, that in the Old Testament, uh, folks in the, in that, under the Old Testament law were expected to keep, treat strangers justly, care for their needs, the New Testament, uh, so far what we've seen doesn't appear to give us anything different, uh, that we should treat uh, the all justly and uh, provide for their needs. Okay. Now, that I think those observations probably pretty pretty easily accepted. Uh, along well, Now maybe the sort of the other side of the coin. Maybe, maybe in other words, be kind, be generous, be benevolent, uh, you know, to all men. But the other side of the coin is, does what? What about the the general principle of obeying the laws of the land, the rule of law? Uh, Romans chapter thirteen teaches us that 
we're supposed to obey the laws of the land. And in fact, to resist the law of the land is to resist God. Paul said in Romans 13, let every soul be subject to the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. For, for if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Uh, the, the God-given role of civil government is to preserve justice, uh, for the, for protection, to preserve order, to, to, uh, defend and promote those who do good to punish those who do evil. And so there, there's clearly a biblical principle that the laws of land are supposed to be observed. So uh, would that have application to this immigration question? I think it would. I think, I, I mean, we, we cannot give a pass to those who violate the laws of the land. I don't see how we biblically could give a pass to those who, who violate the law of the land. Along those lines, James, I believe James is uh, corresponding from California tonight. Thank you, James, for your email. He says, in a sense, they do, uh, talking about the New Testament instructions, do belong, uh, have some implication to us. If someone is a foreigner or any kind of uh, other kind of neighbor, we must treat them with kindness and do good for them. He references Galatians 6, verse 10. That does not mean they should not obey the laws of the country to which they have fled. Christians must obey civil authorities unless civil authorities require them to do something wrong. He references Acts chapter 5, verse 29. For example, if civil authority forbade me from feeding a hungry foreigner, I would have to disobey that law. If civil authority requires a process for people to move into the country, that does not seem to violate the law of God. And so, therefore, James says that the immigrant would have to comply with the laws of the land. Yeah. Um we, we skipped over a couple of these emails when we were talking about those previous points. Aaron, who's in the chat room, also sent an email concerning the application of New Testament instructions. Uh, do they apply? He said, maybe. I do think that many people oppose more immigration because they believe that immigration will dilute the wealth of their home country. People will sometimes make the argument that I worked for what I have while ignoring the fact that much of the value of their labor comes from simply having been born in a rich nation and they did not earn the right to be born here. If they had been born in rural Cambodia and worked just as hard as they've worked here, it's very likely that they would still not have indoor plumbing, let alone air conditioning and wireless Internet. The situation sometimes reminds me of Paul's statement, 1 Corinthians 4, 7, for who makes you to differ from another and what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did not, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? He, Aaron concludes, we sometimes give ourselves too much credit for what we have, which makes us sound selfish when we try to make sure that other people don't get to share it. And I would agree. And and I've said many times on the virtual Bible study that the, God's word emphasizes a benevolent attitude on the part of his people. I mean, it's just it's just so thoroughly taught in the scripture that he expects his people to be benevolently minded. And I don't think that we are enough. <clears throat> and sometimes I think <clears throat> that the attitude that Aaron described there, you know, uh, I don't want, you know, this is ours and we don't want to share what we have, is probably an attitude that, that we possess too much of and we need to be careful about that for sure. Anthony, uh, behind the board tonight, I uh, had a long day, but any comments? <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I think... 
Clearly, I think Christians, you know, need to obey the laws of the land, regardless of of what that what that is. Um, and I think we need to treat people with respect. I mean, even if we encounter somebody who maybe they are breaking the laws of the land, now we can tell them, look, I, you know, you're breaking the law. I think you need to do something about it. But that doesn't preclude us from uh, from treating them right as a human. Yeah. I think that I think that's exactly right. But uh, Aaron goes on to talk about the rule of law, laws of land. He said, "Yes, those laws do apply. If immigration law is in place, we should honor it." And I think that's that's the key. We're, you know, we we are all the descendants of immigrants. Yeah. You know, so we 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 should remember from whence we have come as well. Uh, and so immigration is has been a good thing for us, and it's a good thing for others. But there are laws to regulate it. I. I, and I think that that having laws and regulating those laws is is and and uh, upholding those laws is an appropriate thing that needs to be done. That's the role of civil government to maintain civil order. Uh, and so you know the laws ought to be obeyed. If if the laws need changing, then we have a process to alter them and and adjust them and make them fit the the current situation better. And we can leave that to our politicians to do that, but but laws are laws, and laws need to obey law because they're there for a reason. And so I, I would argue that although we are a, to be a very benevolently minded people, our benevolence cannot go to the extent of saying, well, forego the law, forget it. We don't need to worry about that. Let's just take care of people. Eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven are in the chat room tonight. Guest eighty nine eighty four ask: Is it immigration or is it invasion? Well, there's certain certainly some public policies along those lines of wanting to make sure that they that the national security is secured, but uh, that's uh, not our prerogative as individuals we're asking the question what is our attitude towards the stranger on the program tonight and mccord in the chat room says bottom line we're all strangers in this world philippians chapter 3 verse 20 our citizenship is in heaven therefore we should all be doing god's will amen to that yeah i think exactly right uh now let's take one more part part of this before we go to a, a break would you be a racist would would you be a guilty of racism if you advocated, as many of us do, that we think that our immigration laws ought to be enforced because they're not being enforced very much at all in this day and time. And, that, of course, that is a big, big political issue. And if you listen to talk radio or if you if you turn on your TV and listen to the news, you're going to get coverage about uh, the two political parties bantering back and forth about what should be done concerning illegal immigration and so forth. Um, and and it, it it is not uncommon for those who suggest yes let's enforce immigration laws and make sure order is maintained that yeah. the rules are followed we can change the rules if we need to but let's make sure the rules are followed whatever they are that has been linked with sort of a racist uh, you know you're a racist if you if you expect that uh, would you be uh, Aaron says maybe maybe not. There's an easy way to tell, though. If the person complains about illegal immigration, some countries but not others, you have to wonder why he makes such a distinction. In other words, if he would allow immigrants from some part of the world but not from other part of the world, Aaron is saying, why is that? Maybe that is racism. And maybe it's helpful to ask whether the person that would similarly object if we raised our 
our immigration quotas, then large number of immigrants would be legal. If the protester is really only concerned about enforcing the law, then he should have no objection to raising immigration quotas so that the immigration is legal. But if he also objects to higher quotas, then maybe the concern for legality is just a cover for a different motivation. Yeah, I think that'd be a pretty good test. All right. And uh, James uh, references an, uh, an event with a county commissioner here in Murray County, the county we're in. Uh, the commissioner happens to live down the road from me who made a very, very racist remark about uh, the color of the immigrants. And um, and James asked, uh, you know, does the color matter? And uh, would uh, people have made similar comments back when the immigrants were of the same color and perhaps nationality of the rest of the folks here? Yeah, yeah. You go across that guy's bridge every day, don't I you? Do. On the way here, I did, yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, again, uh, you know, I, I do think it's worthy to remember that we all are immigrants, or the vast majority of us. I don't know if we've got any Native Americans listening to the program tonight, but my guess is that everybody who's listening tonight, we are the descendants of immigrants. It certainly worked out well for us. Yeah. And and so if they, if a legal process could be uh, developed that would benefit more people, uh, and and if if general order is maintained, uh, if the government continues to function in the role God intends it to have, uh, I'm, I'm sort of like Aaron. You know, if if I object uh, just to immigration in general, then maybe I got another problem. Uh, and uh, Kevin in the chat room says God's people are often humbled through the sojourning they had to do. He references Egypt, the wilderness, Abraham leaving Ur, etc. And they are. I think we're humbled by the sojourning we do in this life, even if we're citizens in the country we're sojourning in. I think yeah, it's something yeah. that uh, that I, I think. Thank you, Kevin, for that. Uh, Aaron says, I agree the Bible doesn't set an immigration policy for us, but I think we should ask ourselves what is our motivation, my, what our motivation might be for supporting one policy or another. If we're promoting policy out of selfishness, that's not okay, and the Bible does speak to it. And Kevin agrees with that. I agree. He says, if our motivation is to speak out against sin – illegal migration then it is probably okay but if we need what we need to be consistent in our condemnation of all sins that disobey civil law thank you kevin and aaron for your comments tonight look forward to hearing yours uh we need to take a break and get this week and i really think the last couple of things we want to talk about in regards to this topic might be the most applicable or pertinent to us uh we want to talk about so people many illegals come to our country because they want to improve their economic condition If we oppose the illegal coming to our country to improve their economic condition, does that mean that we don't have a proper degree of love for them? And then one that I really want to touch on, because I've known some situations in churches where there was a chance to teach and convert an illegal alien. And then you're confronted with the dilemma, what do we do now? He's here illegally, but he's a Christian. How would we address that I think I've also known of uh, instances when churches did not want to teach those of another nationality because they were upset about them being here. And uh, that doesn't preempt the fact that they need the gospel and uh, get these Christians were opposed to that. Okay. Uh, Don't go anywhere. We'll get back right after this week's bullet point. Have you checked out all of the resources on collegeview.com lately? Check it out now while you listen to these important messages. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. This is Greg Gwen with this week's bullet point. 
The scene is a common one. A cow with her head stuck through a fence, reaching as far as she can for lush mouthfuls of green grass. In fact, so common is the sight that a well-worn expression has resulted. We've all heard about the grass being greener on the other side of the fence. The saying is used metaphorically to describe someone who is not content where they are, always looking for something different or better as they see it, just beyond the confines of their present situation. Unfortunately, Christians in a local church are sometimes known to seek the greener pastures. They grow discontent with the situation in their own congregation and see other churches that they imagine are better. This frequently results in them leaving here and going there in hopes of finding something more to their liking. These folks typically do not stop to recognize or appreciate the good things where they are. They seem oblivious to the work and effort of their faithful brethren and discount the efforts being made. We would encourage them to stop and smell the roses where they are. Furthermore, those who are inclined to fly the coop most often do so without making any serious effort to improve the perceived issues in the initial congregation. All churches have problems, including the one where they might eventually land. Mature Christians know this and will not walk away from a local church without trying hard to help make the needed changes. Sometimes leaving a congregation is the right decision, but it is a decision that should not be taken lightly. A sense of family loyalty ought to exist among spiritual brothers and sisters that will make this a last option rather than a first one. Greener on the other side? Maybe. But if you look around, you might just realize that you are knee-deep in a wonderful situation. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. I'm Michael, and I'm four years old, and, and this is the Virtual Bible Study. Use your internet connection for something good. Listen to the Virtual Bible Study every week. Now, back to the program. Back on the program tonight. Remind you, this program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more about us at our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com, and also find out more about our community Bible study, July 20th and 21st, 2015. And find out more information there at thevirtualbiblestudy.com. All right, so let's take another question. I think it's maybe more to practical application of these concepts. So why do people, why do illegal immigrants come to the United States? Why do they cross our borders illegally? Why do they want to be here? It was really obviously simple. Well, there might be some who have criminal intent. I suppose we hear somewhat about that. But primarily they come here because they... They want to improve their lot in life. Mm -hmm. Uh, They see an opportunity to work here, uh, earn more money than they could in a lifetime, maybe in a year earn more than they could in a lifetime in their home country. And so they come and they work and they, and they send money home to their uh, families and, you know, they're really trying to improve their lot, their, their physical circumstance in life. And so if someone comes along and, and opposes that, process illegals coming here to work to earn money to make a better life would we would that necessarily be a sign of a lack of love on the part of the person who's objecting to them doing that my answer to that would be uh, not necessarily so because actually i think lots of experts have indicated there are better ways to accomplish that outcome than illegal immigration in other words uh other policies could be put in place to improve economic circumstances in many places in the world. Instead of illegals coming here to work, we could implement policies that would help improve circumstances in their home countries and so forth. And so you know, we, we wouldn't necessarily be saying uh, – in other words, it, it's, it's a false dilemma to say yeah. they've got to come here. It, it's 
it's the only way to improve their circumstance. That's not necessarily so. And so, you know, and again, that's out of our control primarily, you know, and and our national politicians are going to make decisions one way or the other about that. But I don't think it necessarily implies that I don't love my fellow man simply because I say, I'm in favor of enforcing immigration policy. Okay. Uh, and and James says you'd have to take it on a case-by-case basis. Aaron says it might be. I'll go back to the question about whether such a person would object if we had a larger if we had larger quotas for legal immigration. If the protester doesn't want that, either then the issue isn't really about legalities. And, uh, and in that case, it seems likely that such a one wants to make sure that the bounty of this country is shared with fewer people. I do believe that there it is fair to expect that if one comes into this country to share its bounty, the sharing comes with an expectation that the recipient labors if he is able, which is consistent with New Testament principles. My opinion, and it is no more than an opinion, is that much of the obligation objection to immigration is rooted in a belief that immigrants come here to leech rather than to work, which might sometimes come from some degree of racial prejudice. But one cannot judge another's heart on the matter without some more questions. Right. I think that's right. I think those are all good observations. Okay. But, but again, I, in other words, I, I, I take my stand with the conservative political people who say we should enforce immigration policy. Let's change the immigration policy if it's not working. Let's make it better, more effective. But I, I think we should obey the laws of the land. I, and I, and but I seriously hope that that does not reveal in me a a hateful, unloving prejudiced or racial component in my heart. I, I don't think that it does. Uh, I, I think that all kinds of things can be done to improve people's lot in life, so to speak. But I know, too, that Jesus said, you have the poor with you always, and the problems of poverty are never going to be completely eradicated in this world as it, as long as it stands. So, uh uh, take that for what it's worth. But he, here's the last question in this ser- in, in in this uh, topic of immigration. And I think this I, I've known cases like this, Jacob. And the question is, you had the opportunity to teach an illegal alien in our country the gospel of Christ. They learned it, believed it, and obeyed it. What would you then tell them in regards to their illegal status in our country? What would you tell them to do? All right. That is a question that uh, uh, is interesting, and I th- and one listener in the chat room, eighty nine eighty four, references the book of Philemon and says that it may hold some answers, and I think it does. Uh, yeah, I think the book of Philemon might very well hold some answers. Now, l- let me relate a, a, an episode in my experience several years ago. We had the opportunity to meet a young man. We studied with him, taught him, and he obeyed the gospel. Mm-hmm. The very night that he was baptized into Christ, he confessed to us, to me and another man, that he was wanted by the law in his home state. He was a fugitive from the law. He had fled from there because he was wanted. He was under warrant for arrest for peddling drugs. And, uh, and in fact, some of the drugs that he sold had ended up in the death of a, an individual. And so there were some really serious charges pending against him in his home state. And so... What were we to do? He's a Christian now. Can we, can, can we say, well, he's a Christian. Everything's changed. Well, I don't think anybody would agree to that. We told him, and I think everybody who's listening would agree with what we told him. You've got to go back. You've got to go back and face those charges. You've got to go back and, and, and deal with the consequence of 
whatever may happen to you as a result of that. You're a forgiven individual now as a child of God, but you still have the consequence of dealing with the wrongs you've committed in your past. I think everybody would agree with the judgment that we employed in that matter. Yeah. Now, how is that significantly different from any other th- uh, crime that a person might have committed? And, and an illegal alien has, in fact, committed a crime. They've entered our country illegally. Right. They are currently remaining in our country illegally. They're breaking laws in the process of that. I don't see how you could do anything but tell them that true repentance requires righting your wrongs. And, yes. Uh, and so... I, I would feel duty bound to tell them you need to go back to your home country, apply legally to return to this country, and if you can, great, and if you can't, then you be a light in your own in your own home place. James has experience along these lines as well. He says they need to follow the law and turn from any other sins. I know of several cases in which illegal immigrants have become Christians, then they have been encouraged to return to their country of origin and follow the legal process. Christians have helped them throughout the entire ordeal with money and encouragement. In some cases, the gospel has been spread in those countries due to the return of the convicted or converted sinner. I think that's right. Good comments, James. Thank you. Right. I think James is in a situation to probably have to deal with that quite a bit. Um, and uh, Aaron says, "I it would be difficult, but I would have to take the position that a Christian must honor the ordinances ordinances of man." First Peter two verse thirteen. Perhaps we can learn something from Paul and Philippi. After an earthquake, which might have freed him, he remained in prison where he had been unjustly confined. And after the jailer took him into his, the jailer's own house, the next morning Paul went back to his cell, Acts 16, 35-37. Now it is possible that he did this to avoid getting the jailer in trouble, but even before the jailer was converted, Paul did not become a fugitive from the law when he had the chance. Perhaps that was that's not a strong example because both Elijah and David were fugitives from the king, when that king was unjust. I also referenced Peter earlier in Acts when he was set free and he did leave the prison. Yeah. Uh, so, but, uh, but Paul did honor the ordinances of man, even though they were unjust. Yeah. Uh, someone had suggested earlier that there's a, maybe a potential lesson in the, in a tiny New Testament book of Philemon. Mm-hmm. And, and we know the story of Philemon. He was a slave. Uh, excuse me, Onesimus was a slave. The slave owner was Philemon. Mm-hmm. So Paul was in Rome. Onesimus fled from his master Philemon and met Paul apparently in Rome and was converted. And Paul sent him back to his slave owner. But now he sent a letter to the slave owner Philemon yeah. along the lines of, you receive him back as a brother and you treat him with as he ought to be treated. Uh, and Paul even said, you know, lay any wrongs he's committed or, or any or any cost or expense that you may have incurred put that on my account you know uh, but he he did tell onesimus go back and that would be very very i think parallel to the kind of thing that we're talking about here the need for an illegal who learns the gospel and obeys it i think i don't see how any but but i have known churches that look the other way and and would not deal with that issue, and I, I just I just don't know how you would do that. We I got an email uh, from Bob uh, in Indiana, and he, he said, "What would be what should be the church's disciplinary position towards those who lie to their employers in order to obtain work?" And he's talking about illegals who take names, social security numbers, uh, various identifications, so that they can get jobs. He says, 
how, what, what would the what should the church or the elders of the church do in regards to disciplining this guy who's a Christian now, but he's lying to gain employment? He's here illegally, and then he says, "Would it be anything like the situation in Corinth, where a man had his father's wife, and it was known throughout the entire congregation and community?" Uh, uh, so you know, he, he he's suggesting you know. If the church looks the other way, as they appeared to be doing there in 1 Corinthians 5, when that man had his father's wife, they seemed to be looking the other way and not dealing with it. Paul rebuked them for that. Uh, he says, Would, wouldn't we be doing the same thing if we looked the other way for a, a, an illegal me, uh, alien who's a member of our congregation? And then he mentions Paul's, I know what Paul's position was for Onesimus when he wrote to Philemon. Yes, and uh, eighty nine eighty four says, To be a proper Christian, we must render to leaders their proper due. We cannot be a law unto ourselves. We agree with that. Yeah. yeah. Okay, let's take a break. And when we get back, I guess we're ready to get into that next One, one topic. last separate topic. So again, Which is probably... Yeah, a little bit, a little bit I think, uh, probably some were a little surprised. I know Keith in Hendersonville was surprised that we were going to deal with this immigration question. But I hope we've been able to demonstrate that there are biblical uh, principles... At, at play here and and worth us being reminded of what the Bible would have us do in these matters. All right. Uh, it certainly it is. We do need to make sure that our attitudes are in line with what the scriptures teach. And so there are applicable principles for us to apply to our lives. When we get back, a topic that could be a whole hour and more on what do you do when you're angry at God? Uh, what do you, what do you, how do you, maybe how do you counsel someone like that and help encourage someone who yeah. may be in well, that if position? If you're in that shape or if you're trying to help someone who's in that shape, what do you do? All right, let us know uh, and stay tuned. We'll go to the top of the hour right after this. Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. Hi, this is Jordan Sanders from College View Church of Christ, and here's some thoughts for you today. Have you ever wondered why there never seems to be enough time to get everything done? Well, we may not have the answer. According to an article in U.S. News, an average American in his lifetime will spend six months at a stop sign, eight months opening junk mail, one year looking for misplaced items, two years unsuccessfully trying to return telephone calls, five years waiting in the line, and six years eating. Other recent studies suggest that we will spend as much as 20 years watching TV and even more time sleeping. Now, to put this in proper perspective, think of this. If you attend every service of church, Sunday Bible study, Sunday morning and evening worship, and Wednesday night Bible study, you will spend only about 1.5 years total. That's only slightly more time than you will spend looking for misplaced items and only about twice as much time as you will spend opening junk mail. But some Christians will not even do this much. Over and over again, we return to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Do not forsake the assembly of ourselves together. God commands us to assemble. Why? The context of this verse clearly shows that it is for our benefit. Are you taking advantage of this great blessing? Christian, how are you using your time? If you don't regularly attend all of the services, you may be spending more time opening junk mail than worshiping God. Isn't that a terrifying thought? We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. Americans seem to have absolutely no idea just how many lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender people are out there. In fact, they think that 23% of Americans, or almost one in every four, are LGBT, a recent Gallup survey revealed. That's way off. Gallup's most recent survey found that less than 4% self-identify that way. Still, a third of people surveyed believe that LGBT made up more than 25% of the population. Just 9% of those in the survey correctly stated that they thought the group made up less than 5% of the population. 
quote, the overestimation of the size of the LGBT population may reflect prominent media portrayals of gay characters on television and in movies, even as far back as 2002, and perhaps the high visibility of activists who have pushed gay causes, particularly legalizing same-sex marriage, said the Gallup analyst. That information is via Bloomberg.com. The Word of God says in 1 Corinthians 6, beginning verse 9, Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals shall inherit the kingdom of God. Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. We're back on the program. We're going to the top of the hour talking about now. What do you do about uh, when you get okay, angry with we're, God? We're, changing, we're switching gears here completely and going to a, just a, a, a few thoughts for the last few minutes of our program of another question that I think people have to deal with from time to time. And that's, in other words, either I am personally angry with God or someone that I'm trying to help and encourage is angry with God. And, and I'm, I'm specifically thinking of situations where something really bad has happened, you know, a loss, you know, a loss of a child, loss of a loved one, loss of a job, financial reversal, some terrible circumstance crops up in my life, and, or, or some, someone does something bad to me. And I just... It just sort of destroys me. I, I, I and but but I take it out on God. I'm mad at God for letting that sort of thing happen in my life. And I've known people, and I think probably lots of us have known people who've actually turned away from serving God because they're angry at what has happened. How would you deal with that? How would you go about to counsel them? All right. Well, um, <clears throat> I uh, see an email here from James. He says when one reads Job and the Psalms. One can see that even people of faith struggle with the emotional side of their problems. Any attempt to uh, validate or invalidate another person's anger is probably not very productive. God knows and understands their anger, yet we must be like Job and still trust in him. So James says you got to make sure you keep your trust where it needs to be. All right. And uh, Aaron says it is always hard for a person who has not experienced these significant setbacks to offer advice to those who are in the middle of them. If I were to give a short answer, it would be from Romans eight thirty one through 39, where Paul says that no physical circumstance can separate us from the love of God. But he says more than that. Verse 32 says, Who did uh, not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all? How shall, we not, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? The fact that God offered his son for us is enough proof that he is not simply trying to make us miserable with all the other unpleasant things that are mentioned in this passage. Earlier in the chapter, in Romans 8, verse 18, Paul says that our suffering will be outweighed by the glory that comes later. So maybe all of Romans 8 would be a, a be good assigned reading for encouragement, since at different times we all groan, waiting for the redemption of the body. Jesus, while he was on earth, suffered the death of friends, John eleven thirty five, betrayal and denial at the hands of other friends, and unjust persecution over the entire course of his ministry. But he endured, and we can understand and he endured and can't understand what we face. Thank you, Aaron, for that. All right. I had a lesson along these lines uh, some time back, and I had some points uh, in it that I, that might help here as well. First, first thing that I would point out is that you know, it's, 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 you can't really lay all this at God's feet because we are beings of choice, you know. And sometimes the trouble I'm suffering is a result of bad choices I've made. I should probably be mad at myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not God's fault that I made bad choices. Then on the other hand, not only am I a free moral agent, but everybody else is too. And sometimes I suffer not because of my bad choice, but because of the bad choice that somebody else made. That's still not God's fault. 
And so, you know, uh, to lay the blame at God's feet is probably uh, very short-sighted. We're not, we're not investigating it thoroughly enough. Yeah, I mean, I would say that sort of implies that God is pulling all the strings yeah. on every single tiny decision by everybody. Right. He's pulling the strings specifically to mess you up. Yeah. By the scriptures. I think you're right, Anthony. The other thing would be that uh, that you somehow have been done wrong if you suffer. You know yeah. that, that how would God let me, of all people, have to go through this? Like I'm some kind of righteous soul that should never have to, to cross any of these bridges. Uh, yeah, and that uh, and that's one of the points that I made in this lesson is that God never promised us that everything was just going to be, you know. Perfect, an easy yeah. road, uh, no tribulations, no. Tri- he never promised that, you know. He, he didn't. He didn't sort of lie to us to get us to enlist. Yeah. He, he let us know that there would be trouble and tribulation to deal with, and and, and so we we ought, to, we ought to expect that. And even uh, we ought to know that there's a potential benefit that comes from from sometimes from suffering. And it's not. It, nothing's pleasant. It's not pleasant at the time, but if it's beneficial. Uh, then if at the end of the process I'm a stronger Christian than I was at the start of it, then that's a good thing, no matter what I had to go through. Uh, James said in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, Brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that she may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Um, so, you know, again, uh you you gotta you gotta keep keep your goal keep your eye as their emails said on the goal of heaven keep your faith in God keep faithfully serving Him but know that even if it's a, a bad thing you come out stronger in the end it's good you know we we sort of might draw a parallel to the case of David King David remember when the infant child born to Bathsheba was afflicted and sick and he prayed to God. Uh, that it might be healed, and it wasn't. But at the end, he said, you know, he accepted that as being the reality and said, I, I can't bring him back to me, but I can go to him. And and so that was his ambition from there on out. With the right perspective. Right. All right. right. So, and Okay, go ahead. Uh, I would also point out that God is not the only force at work in this world. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, why did God do this to me? Well, you know, the better question again might be, why did Satan do this to me? Yep. Uh, Satan must be ex- accepted as a reality too. Peter said, First Peter five verse eight: Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Right. And so, uh, I, I'm, I'm may, the trouble I'm facing may be a result of Satan being able to succeed in tempting me or someone else to do something that shouldn't have been done. Yeah. Uh, we, we know how God wanted things to go in this world, and that was in the Garden of Eden when men and men messed that up, and we're suffering as a result of that, not because God wants things to be miserable for us. Yeah, uh, Proverbs thirteen fifteen says the way of trans of the transgressor is hard. Well, if and so that's a, that's a truth. That's, that's a generally true statement. It's a proverb. If I choose to transgress God's law, if Satan is able to succeed in getting me to transgress God's law. Then I can expect that difficulties will follow, hardships will will ensue. Therefore, I don't have any right to be mad at God. Uh, just realize that there are some other forces at work in this world. Yeah. And uh, Droy in the chat room says, "How much did Paul suffer being stoned and mistaken for dead?" Uh, and so 
Troy references Paul and says that Paul had to deal with difficult things, and yet we know Paul's attitude in verse 12 of 2 Timothy 1, for I, for which cause I also suffer these things, nevertheless I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Paul was focused on God. His faith did not waver. We yeah. can't allow our faith to waver either. Yeah. Um. And uh, in the chat room, uh, guest 8984 says, tribulation is not if, but when. I think that's true. Uh, Droy adds, did Paul make excuses? No, he went back to those towns later on to teach more. Yeah. And so Paul was unmoved, and we've got to be, we've got to make sure that our faith is. Second Peter three twelve. Yea, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Um, then maybe we just got time for one last point that I would make is, we should serve God because He is God. Not because we are getting all positive benefits from it, you know, you know, sort of serving selfishly. As long as everything's going real good for me, I'm going to be a faithful servant of God. But if, if I start having hard times, I'm out of here, man. Well, that's not right. God deserves to be honored and served as God because he is God, not because of what we're getting out of it. Yes. Now, I really do believe that God blesses his people. Uh, it's not that he that that bad things don't happen to good people. We know they do. Jesus Christ himself is the ultimate example of that. But the fact of the matter is we should serve God because he is God. Yes, uh, we should. Um, you remember um, when uh, Satan was trying to get Job, and uh, and he, he, he asked God, he questioned God, he says, uh, uh, does Job fear God for not, verse 9 of Job verse one or chapter 1, Hast thou not made a hedge about him and about his house and all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the works of his hands, and the substance is increased in the land. But put forth thy hand now and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. Job's, or Satan admitted, if you're serving God because your life here on earth is somehow better, you got a hedge around you. He, he, then he he has the angle he needs to get to you. Yeah. If you're if you're it so, wasn't the case with Job. It wasn't the but case. He, but Job. But, but Satan, Satan thought so. Yeah. Satan thought, Job's just serving you because his life's perfect. If you'll if you if if I can somehow get to that and make his life not perfect, then he'll just curse God. And you know that's what people are doing in these circumstances. Yeah. They're cursing God. They're mad at God. God, why did you allow me to go through this? Satan has an angle to these people, but he didn't to Job because Job had a different uh, yeah. outlook. Here's what Job said about it in the second chapter of Job, verse 9, beginning. His wife said to him, Dost thou still retain thy integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? In all this did not Job sin with his lips. Yeah. In other words, Job said, you know, what, what do you mean? We're only going to serve God if, if we get good, if good things happen to us as a result. Yeah. No, we're going to serve Him no matter what comes our way. And that needs to be our disposition. Yeah, that's right. And certainly these are difficult times that we have to go through when, and certainly we're not, uh, we don't want to diminish that, but we do have to make sure that our focus and our perspective is in the right place. And it's not all about us and we will have to go through difficult times, but we stay focused on God and serving Him and, and not allow our faith to waver. Yeah. Anthony, thoughts before yeah, we go? I mean, I think that you know, the key point that stands out for me is just that, you know, we oughtn't be so quick to judge a situation as bad or or terrible or awful just because it's unpleasant at the moment. It may turn out to be some a very positive thing when it's all said and done. I, I think that's um, well, that's true. You know, it shows patience. And, exactly uh, right. As it says in James. 
And uh, 89, 84 in the chat room says he cares for us now and looking for eternity beyond this life. So fear God and keep his commandments. Yeah, and, and I think that's probably a really good point to end on. You know, it's not all about here and now. Our, our right. pro- the reason why we get mad at God is because our here and now circumstances is maybe not what we want it to be. It's not all about here and now. Yeah. In fact, very, if we have the right perspective, this is not nearly as important as hereafter. Yeah. All right, we'll take it uh, and call it a night at that, uh, but we do appreciate the good comments. A good good couple of subjects there to talk about, and hope that you, they were beneficial. Dad, thank you for your time tonight. Thanks, Jacob. Thank you, Anthony, for joining us on a busy night for you, but thank you for taking time to be here. Thank you, no problem. And uh, thank you for joining us. Hope you uh, benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word. Hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock.